Hello, and welcome back to the HSA podcast, a joint project between Pro Bono Students Canada, University of Calgary Chapter, and CJSW 90.9 FM. This is a podcast where University of Calgary law students discuss a variety of legal topics with professionals in the field. We'd like to emphasize that the information you hear today is legal information and not legal advice, as we are law students and not lawyers. This podcast is purely for informational purposes. If you do require legal advice, please consult a lawyer, as there is no substitute for a professional. Joining us today is Emily Laidlaw, who is a law professor at the University of Calgary. She researches in the areas of technology regulation, cybersecurity and human rights, with a focus on platform regulation, online harms, privacy, freedom of expression and corporate social responsibility. She is a Canada Research Chair in Cybersecurity Law, a Network Director of the Canadian Network on Information and Security, and a member of the Institute for Security, Privacy and Information Assurance. She's also the author of the book, Regulating Speech in Cyberspace, Gatekeepers, Human Rights and Corporate Responsibility. This time, we pick up our discussion on Canada's proposed internet safety regulations, the idea of lawful but awful, and how a regular Canadian can weigh in with their opinion, regardless of where they stand on this issue. In the spirit of reconciliation, we would first like to acknowledge that hearsay is recorded on Treaty 7 territory. We acknowledge that Treaty 7 territory is the traditional and ancestral territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, consisting of the Kanai, Bakani, and Siksika, as well as the Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda First Nation. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3 within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit who have lived in and cared for these lands for generations. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and those who have gone before us. We make this acknowledgement as an act of gratitude to those whose territory we reside on or are visiting. When we look at the proposal that was put forward by the federal government, it states that they are aiming to introduce regulations that reduce the spread of, quote, illegal and harmful content. What would we define as this illegal and harmful content? Well, that is the money question. And I would say um, to what this type of legislation, what kind of content it should apply to, has been one of the greatest points of debate. And I don't think that I've even come to a firm conclusion at what it should be. So when the government first proposed, um, it, it introduced this kind of discussion paper uh, back in, I think it was July 2021. And they said, this is our idea for a law and we're going to narrowly apply um, apply it to, I think it was five categories of criminal content. So it was going to be intimate image abuse, uh, terrorist propaganda, hate propaganda, incitement to violence, and child sexual abuse material. Um, so I nailed it. I, I remembered the five. So their focus was on criminal content. Um, but think for just a split second about the great swath of harm that happens online. And I mean, can destroy lives, can destroy businesses, 
it's much wider than those categories. But we have a practical issue here. Uh, one is if you're going to create a new legal framework and we think of just, you know, the the sheer quantity of information flows, for practical reasons, it might be best to start with um, a more, you know, specific, I guess, areas of content that you know are are criminal um, and um, and then you can develop it from there. The question is whether they would actually just say, okay, we're done and dusted now and move on. Um, the other issue is that the federal government, you know, there, there's some kind of jurisdictional um, uh, limits to what they can propose. Many of the areas of online harms that we might want to see focused on, like defamation law, uh, that is really within provincial remit. And so there are the limits to what the federal government can propose here. Um, and, and I actually think that that challenge of that coordination between the provinces and the federal government on the issue of online harms, um, I, I think that it should be one of the major points that, that they sit down and try to coordinate on um, because I think that people are, are sort of being left in the dust and some horrific things are happening in the meantime. So I'm sensing there's quite a bit of overlap between privacy and this new framework that's being proposed. So where do you think this overlap can be separated, if at all? For example, the private messaging system issue that we just talked about. Uh, Technically, in my opinion, the providers that support the private messaging systems would still have some kind of responsibility. uh, But at the end of the day, these are private messages and, and we believe them to be and remain private. So in your opinion, do you think that this overlap can be separated? Yeah, and I don't think that they can. Um, and But it's a great question. And I think that some of these are enormous challenges that we don't have really good solutions for. I would say that um, one example of a privacy issue that does come up a lot is uh, let's say an individual is a victim of um, – intimate image abuse should that you know should that company then have an obligation to proactively monitor and keep down that image once they've notified it because what happens people keep posting it um well generally the approach taken um and in in europe and i would agree with this and i think this is human rights balancing is to say there should never be an obligation on a company to proactively monitor content because that is basically tasking them with um with engaging in a surveillance regime can we have a discussion though about very specific items of content that they may be or aware of like very specific instances we can but that's why it's contextual and that's why you know it's and and when you're talking about millions and billions of pieces of content and i'm now trying to talk to you about the context of one image you can see the challenge of it private messaging is really difficult um, because it's popular with uh, radical groups it's it's incredibly popular for sharing of of intimate images um but uh you know, some of the discussions have been the idea of undermining encryption, and that is that should just be a no-go zone at all. I mean, if you undermine encryption, then you're undermining security, 
period. Um, and uh, I find that a lot of the debates tend to be um, positioned at one end or the other. Don't you care about, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blanks, children versus don't you care about security? Um, I mean, it depends somewhat on the platforms. If you look at Facebook, they do. They're like, no, you're going to have a private messaging conversations. <laughs> we do check for just some of the extreme kinds of content and don't permit it on our platforms. Right. So do you think that's where the original pushback was coming from? Because there was pushback against this discussion document in the first place. So did the pushback come from that or was it coming from someplace else? Um, some of the pushback was about private messaging. Um, I'd say the major complaint was the idea that they were just focused on content takedown and that 24-hour rule, which um, most working in this area have, have kind of rejected as a problematic solution and doesn't actually solve the system problem mm -hmm. that that you're facing. I mean, that doesn't solve the algorithmic amplification issue that eating disorder content is being pushed to children, that children are developing, you know, ticks. And Olu is in my class, and we discussed this just this week about um, how, you know, con videos on TikTok were being pushed to, to children, and they basically suddenly had this, like, rash of kids with ticks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does the regulator or the government make that moral judgment that, say, for example content that includes information about ticks that is going out to children is bad who gets to decide this is this the regulator or is this the government is there feedback is there communication between them who gets to decide oh that excellent question because um this brings up the issue of um the idea of what the role of government should be when it comes to freedom of expression. Um, and it also brings up the issue of lawful but awful content, one of my favorite topics. And uh, f I mean, the starting position is that we broadly should protect freedom of expression and that the role of the law should actually be quite limited. Um, there are different ways to deal with these problems. And um, usually a legal approach might not be effective and is a pretty blunt instrument. So the government making a decision of, I mean, it would be untenable for a government to say, we think that you pushing tick videos is, <laughs> is, is problematic, right? Your algorithm pushing that in particular um, and wading into that kind of detail because you essentially have governments acting as censors about lawful content. It's harmful, but it's lawful for someone to have post, a, you know, it's lawful for someone to talk about having a tick. Um, it's a very different thing, though, to say uh, this private company should have in place systems to deal with harm. But where still a point of debate is this kind of gray area where if can a government order um, a private company to uh, to manage the risks of harm of content that's actually legal? It might be harmful, but it's still legal. Disinformation, misinformation, things that harm children. And um, that was very controversial in the UK. They stepped back most of their proposals that involved uh, lawful but awful. The only things they kept were to do with um, really child protection issues. 
And I think there is a very important conversation to be had about some of these issues. I mean, we have, you know, justified in Canada particular um, restrictions on advertising because of the influence it has over children, right? Everyone reads that case as a first-year law student. But that was on the basis of saying, look, we know this advertise their particularly vulnerable population, that it, imp- it manipulates their minds. So it's justifiable in this case to have kind of certain, you know, legal restrictions in place. Um, and so I think we need to wade into a few of the higher risk categories here and maybe start with the issue of children. Um, but it could never be the government picking and choosing that particular content. So this whole lawful but awful situation, uh, for the listeners that have no idea how our legal system works, is this proposed bill supposed to address the unlawful issues? And if so, what happens to the rest of the lawful but awful situations? Are there any other ways um, that aren't necessarily legal, but are there ways for us to address the remaining scenarios? Yes, well, it depends what the mandate ends up being of the regulator. Um m- my hope would be that the regulator has a a broad mandate to engage with industry, to uh, engage in education, um, because I think that even codes of practice, um, voluntary codes, working with civil society and industry might be um, an important way forward. Um, and then, and then perhaps there might be regulations down the road to deal with some of these, this kind of lawful, but awful. Um, I, I, the only thing that I, I question is what happens if, say, a regulator decides that they want to take on the issue of mis- and disinformation, even though it's not actually listed in the law. I mean, arguably, then that's outside their remit, even if the focus is on education and, and codes of practice. So what we could face here is that, you know, when I go into rooms often, like often non-lawyers, and they say, these are the big things I'm concerned about, and I go... Like 95% of what you've just listed falls into the category of lawful but awful. And so there's a really good chance that this law that everyone, well, not everyone, but those concerned groups really want to see passed um, might not actually even address the issues that they're concerned about. So you spoke about Canada being a late mover in this space. You have had experience in the UK and with Europe as well. Can you explain a bit of, of what they've done and would you say that it's been successful? Do they need to do more? How has it been with people that have moved and acted on this topic? Yeah, so I explained that Canada does not have a comprehensive law. In contrast, um, and I won't dive into it too much, but I can say the U.S. law gives a broad immunity to platforms and they passed that law in 1996. Um Europe passed a law that's almost like our defamation law, but for all unlawful content. And they passed it in the year 2000. So the obligation essentially for hosts of of content would be um, a notice and takedown regime that if they, you know, acquire knowledge that 
if something's illegal, any type of legal, copyright infringing, terrorist propaganda, defamation, then they have a duty. They, they essentially need to act to, to, to take it down. Otherwise, they risk liability for that content. But there, that was where we sat for a while. And it was like you had these two different models between Europe and the U.S., um, both flawed, but operational since 1996 and 2000. But suddenly now, um, there has been a huge amount of change. Uh, the, the new models, I don't know if they'll be successful because they're so new. So Europe passed the Digital Services Act. And I think it's a game changer. I think it's going to be a game changer like the GDPR was for privacy globally. And it's because it is um, pretty far-reaching and it imposes uh, due diligence obligations. Now, only, you know, there's all kinds of different obligations on it, but I think that the most important would be very large online platforms. Um, the really big guys, they are going to have special obligations to manage the systemic risks. So they're going to have to um, enable researchers to essentially lift the lid on how they're operating. They're going to have to uh, um, engage in transparency reporting on very specific issues, even mis- and disinformation. Yeah, so it is it's pretty broad ranging, but that I mean that is really new. So it is it's not even fully implemented yet. Um, UK just finally passed the online safety bill a few weeks ago, so that hasn't it's not operational yet either. It has not been implemented, but I will say that I really hope Canada does not follow in the footsteps of the UK to the extent that it took maybe five or six years of heavy debate for that bill to pass. And there is is a lot to criticize about it. I'm more sympathetic. I, it introduces the idea that companies have a duty of care. It took so long because they tried to be quite, in my view, from the outside, responsive to all the variation. Well, there's different types of platforms and there's different types of content and this and that. And so now you have a a bill, or I guess now legislation, that's 250 pages long. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it is horribly complicated in the end, and I really hope that's not um, where uh, where Canada goes with it. So there is, uh, you know, they're now on their second iteration of intermediary liability laws, and uh, we don't have one. <laughs> So do you think it's better for Canada to have a broader bill or proposed legislation rather than just a detailed 200-page regime? Yes, yes. I do. Okay. I think that it would be a huge mistake to be granular, but uh, it this is the big tension because this is so contextual. It's an evolving area. So there is a lot that needs to be kicked to a regulator to develop, right? But that's also the, the point of, of friction. It's, it's the problem because it asks us to have so much faith that the, you know, office, whoever's leading it, is sensitive enough that they really balance. Like, this is really a human rights regulator. That's what this is. 
and um, and kind of develops it the way that it needs to be developed. But also, if the law, if the legislation isn't detailed enough, it creates a tremendous amount of uncertainty for businesses operating in Canada. And it's not just the TikToks of the world. There's all kinds of small platforms, depending on who's in scope, huge numbers of parties impacted and individuals in the process and groups that are really impacted by harms. So we have seen all kinds of debates about various laws that have come forward recently in broadcasting and telecoms with Bill C-11, online news with Bill C-18, um, Bill C-27 and privacy and um, and and um, and artificial intelligence. And some of the major criticisms have been, this isn't detailed enough. Like you've, you're leaving everything to the CRTC to figure out later. And so I am, I, I'm almost watching and waiting to see what happens if and when, let's just cross our fingers and say when that bill comes, um, because you don't wanna be the UK, <laughs> but you also don't want to create tremendous uncertainty so where is the sweet spot i can't i can't tell you right now i don't know so there's been a lot of discussion and consultation from experts and also from minority and interest groups for regular canadians who haven't been able to um who haven't been consulted um that might sit on either side of the debate whether they're for more privacy or they're for more protection or somewhere in the middle how can regular Canadians voice their opinions on the matter and will the government be able to hear and and take heed to what they're saying? Uh, well, I'd love to see, you know, Canadians participate in the debates, you know, participate online, voice your views. What I would say is, um, you know, with many of the people I've been having conversations, I said, we almost need to be going from city to city to town, sitting in there are public libraries having conversations about this because what I don't want to see and what I fear most is this is just going to become some debate about freedom of expression or not and in a very blunt way. Um, and uh, instead of really just thinking through how, how do you want, you know, this is a corporate governance question. Like what is appropriate regulation of technology companies that provide this service. I mean, some regulation is appropriate. I think we can all get around the fact that child protection is is a pretty key issue. And I find that once I sit down with many people and start actually talking about it, you know, step by step, we actually agree on a lot more than we disagree about. Um, so my hope is that people participate in the conversation, but participate thoughtfully, like read up on what's proposed and think about it in, in your daily life. Um, what do you think would be, you know, what do you want? Like, how would you love to see this fixed when things have happened to you or your family? And I mean, even when your speech has been suppressed or when something harmful has happened in another way, right? Like private information shared. What did you want as a solution? Because that's what we're talking about here. And there are all kinds of creative ways to try to solve this in a human rights respecting way. Um, so, so, you know, join the conversation.
So I'm wondering if maybe one of the difficulties of this discussion is the whole idea that this law is supposed to protect. Uh, whereas if something bad does happen, is there even a way to protect what has been done? Is there a way to protect what's been damaged? So for example, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but even in human rights violations, I believe that at the end of the day, when they're trying to repair the wrong that has been done, uh, you repair that with, with money. So you know, how do you repair, you know, a damage to someone's reputation with monetary means? Because we understand that these kinds of harms can't really be calculated. So I'm wondering, are there potential reparations for those that go through these harms? And, you know, do these bills um, and the courts attest to that at all? Well, yeah, and there's, I mean, you see it in different uh, subject areas. So um, there's been a lot of work in trying to make it um, easier for people who have been the victims of intimate image abuse to be able to get that content taken down. Um, British Columbia, for example, just passed a law that has actually, and they're creating a process through the BC Civil Resolution Tribunal to make it fast track, right? And I was part of a group that uh, tried to kind of come with the Uniform Law Conference of Canada to come up with the idea of model law. Um, I think that the answer sometimes is, well, you could sue. And it's, well, go to the police. You know, we have, you know, hate propaganda is a crime. And um, here's the problem. And I see this as a major access to justice issue because you know what? We're not suing. We're generally not suing for defamation. It doesn't solve the problem. The toothpaste is out of the tube, right? It's, it is only available for the, you know, relative few who can afford it. Um, generally speaking, the kind of volumes and the types of crimes we're talking about are not prosecuted. I mean, it might be resourcing by the police. Individuals might actually not feel comfortable going to the police. It's just not the best avenue. So, so I wish we would kind of get past that to say, if you actually want access to some remedial mechanism, what should that be? And if, if we're wanting to prevent harms, then um, this idea of like systemic approaches, that's the only way really to get to the root of what's going on with these companies. In conclusion, for our listeners um, that are interested in keeping up with the developments of this proposal or just any other burgeoning internet law developments in general, how can they uh, keep an What should they keep an eye out for? I would say... Uh, just kind of keep track of um, of upcoming, you know, the the federal government's proposal in this space or discussions. Um, I think any of the policy discussions, most of it is happening through, um, I'd say, the Department of Justice, the Heritage Ministry, ISED. Um, there, that's where I think a lot of the law reform is happening right now. And follow a lot of the civil society organizations, like, for example, Open Media that does a lot of work in this space. And, and, and many professors are really passionate about these issues right now. I've been spending their careers on it. And so um, they are contributing a, a lot of commentary and it's worth, and we don't all agree. So it's worth reading a wide variety of our, our comments because you get a full flavor of, of the complexity of the issues. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure our listeners will find it very very on topic for, for today's conversation. So thank you again for joining us. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you.
We'd like to thank Professor Emily Laidlaw once again for joining us for this month's Hearsay episode. Please remember that we are proud to present you with legal information, not legal advice. If you require legal advice, please consult a lawyer. The podcast is a joint project between CJSW 90.9 FM and Pro Bono Students Canada University of Calgary chapter. If you would like to hear more podcasts like this, the Hearsay podcast can be found on Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.